Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I have with me a very, very accomplished individual from Australia, Mr. Andrew Grant. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Andrew is the founder and director of Tyrion, an innovation and transformation specialist. He's traveled for 20 years looking at innovation and creativity in companies, countries, and cultures. And he's the co-author of two books, The Innovation Race, How to Change a Culture to Change the Game, and Who Killed Creativity and How Can We Get It Back? And uh, all our viewers can have a look at these two books just behind Andrew. So Andrew, let's talk Tyrion first. Tell me about the venture. Well, we've always had a passion for teaching and um, it's, it's sort of transferred over the last 30 years from NGOs to not-for-profits to schools and in the last sort of 15 to 20 years into corporate. Mm-hmm. And we, as you mentioned, we've we've done this with my partner, wife, who's also um researcher at Sydney University Business School. Um, we've got a nice blend, I think, of the academic, the practical and a global reach, having studied this in many countries and many cultures, and mm-hmm. including developing a health curriculum in Tamil Nadu, India, for 25 million children, which was probably the most daunting thing we've ever done. Mm-hmm. So we've had to use our creativity uh, in our education side. But I think for the intents of this podcast, we're focusing on corporate education and adult education and how we can learn better. I understand. Uh, And, you know, when you talk about harnessing creative intelligence, for my viewers and listeners, help us understand what is creative intelligence. Well, I think we've all heard of um, IQ, which is the the standard intelligence. We've heard of the EQ, which is the emotional intelligence. So, of course, there's got to be a CQ, but you probably don't see it as much in the management magazines at the moment. Uh, It has been researched for about 50 years, the concept of CQ, which is a creative quotient. Mm -hmm. Although a lot of people, when we were writing our book, Who Killed Creativity, um, asked, can you actually measure it? And the answer is, Yes and no. I mean, creativity is a, a very fluid thing to measure. I noticed um, Jordan Peterson has got a creativity achievement questionnaire quiz, which mm-hmm. I failed at. And I thought, well, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, because it was very much measuring artistic skills, mus- musical skills, theatrical skills, mm-hmm. and the ability to, to do things. And so for the, the intensive purpose of what we're talking about creativity, I actually don't want to focus with your audience on the artistic side of creativity. Mm-hmm. I want to look at the, uh, the concept of creativity of bringing two unrelated things together mm-hmm. to make something better, maybe two new novel ideas to, to, to come up with something better. And in this case, in the business world, it's about coming up with better solutions to problems that we haven't always seen or not mm-hmm. necessarily linear. Mm-hmm. The real world, the, the, the word that's thrown around a lot is wicked problems, which means mm-hmm. problems that we don't actually know even what the initial problem is. Mm-hmm. And as you've probably heard, there's a lot of people now talking about design thinking. It's become a, a buzzword, although the concept's been around since the, since the 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of models and methods and steps and books written on design thinking that mm-hmm. you could go forever reading books on design thinking and the thousand steps of design but thinking. For my, for, for my viewers and listeners, could you give me an example of uh, the creative quotient and uh, 
you know, how well, that's right. So, so, so creative quotient, I think, needs to preempt all of that. Mm -hmm. And the creative quotient is the attributes and skills that you have, again, not necessarily artistic ones, that allow you to be creative and use the tools mm -hmm. of design thinking better. And Pauli Torrance was the, I suppose you could say, the father of creative thinking. He mm -hmm. came up with a measure um, about 50 years ago, and mm -hmm. it's been, you know, researched and validated for years and years and years. Um, and he looks at different things. It was originally designed for school children to mm -hmm. measure their creative quotient or their creative attributes. Mm -hmm. And originally he had four attributes, but they've been floating backwards and forwards. And for our intents and purposes, we've, we've distilled seven of them mm -hmm. and tried to then see if we can get people in workshops or adults to, to measure their creative quotient against these seven attributes mm -hmm. um, uh, to see if they can see how creative they are. Now, a lot of adults don't think they're very creative and that actually supports the research. Believe it or not, 98% of children score high on creative uh, divergent thinking tests mm. and only 2% of adults score high on that. So if we were to come up with seven attributes of creative intelligence or the creative mm. quotient, mm. quotient and ask people to measure those quotients, uh, very few people would say they get seven out of seven. But what mm. we like to do is ask them, what, do they, what would they score themselves out of seven? Mm. And then we'd go through each of those seven attributes to see how well they did just on a very basic drawing test. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that's a, you know the most validated way to yeah. measure someone's yeah. uh, creativity, but mm. then I'd like to compare those seven attributes to business case studies mm. and show people how they can use those seven attributes or how businesses have used each of those seven attributes to get ahead. So Andrew, tell me, what are these seven uh, attributes of creativity? Well, as I said, we get people to draw something which does represent the Torrance testing and visual drawing, but mm -hmm. what we're really interested in is how they apply to business case studies and for people to see that, wow, as a business, if I can do these seven things, I can I can get ahead of what it, what's out there. So obviously the first one we're looking for when people draw things is their ability to be original. Mm -hmm. And having seen many drawings over 20 years, uh, there's really only, you know, maybe one out of 10 that will actually draw something original. Ten, mm -hmm. People tend to all draw the same thing. Mm -hmm. So originality is obviously one of the first attributes that's really right. important. Mm -hmm. The second attribute is called resistance to premature closure. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it from a drawing perspective, a lot of adults like to close their drawings off. Mm -hmm. But you'll see that kids, which we know are more creative than adults, tend to leave their drawings open. Mm -hmm. And if you think of that in the business world, if you're in sales and marketing and, you, and your customer buys something and you think, well, that's the end of the sale, I can close it off and tick my KPIs, mm -hmm. Well, you're not being very creative because creative people will realize that maybe it's not the end of the beginning, not right. the end of the customer journey. Right. But we'll keep it open and see what else the customer can do. Mm -hmm. Number three is elaboration. Right. Uh, a lot of people tend to draw very simple drawings. Mm -hmm. Very creative people tend to be very elaborate. They can add detail yeah. and they can see detail where the average person can't. Mm -hmm. Number four is measuring flexibility, mm -hmm. um, not being limited by artificial barriers. And that's the classic think out of the box. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how everyone draws their drawings inside the box. Mm -hmm. And again, as we know, I, probably an overused term, so I won't spend too long on it. But the, seeing that blue ocean, they're seeing things that are outside where 
other people will look, to look to see if we can bring something from over here and something from over here and connect it together in a way that um, other companies and artificial intelligence will never be able to do. Mm. Number five is integration, mm. and that's that concept of integrating things together and whether people integrate their drawings together. And in the business workplace, we're looking for people that can integrate and, again, connect things from different parts of it. Uh, we've seen, you know, online uh, selling through to face-to-face -face selling, and now we've got the online marketing where people will connect it all together mm -hmm. and people can walk into a shop and have an experience of both the the customer face-to-face -face plus the advantage of digital rather seeing them as two separate things Number six is fluency, and that's looking at how many ideas people can generate. We know that kids can generate between seven to fifteen ideas. From if I was to ask them, uh, let's see, what what would they what what could they do with that mouse? Mm. Uh, a kid could come up with seven to fifteen. Most adults drop out at about three to five. They just can't see any other uses for it. Mm. And so fluency is the ability when you've exhausted all ideas. This attribute is about saying, well, maybe there's another one out there. And finally, it's the ability to abstract. And that's for people that can put meaning and context into something, uh, again, from a sales perspective, if they're just selling an article or an object, mm -hmm. they can put an emotional meaning and context behind it and not just describe it as a dog or a cat or a product. Mm -hmm. And so they are the seven attributes that um, are needed to preempt any sort of creative thinking or design thinking. And with those attributes, then the rest of the tools become really valuable. Fascinating. So, you know, uh, as you were speaking, I was uh, thinking, you know, one of my books uh, that I wrote recently was on failure. And uh, I want to link culture to risk taking and creativity. Uh, my view was, when I was looking at failure, was that in those countries where failure is not accepted very easily, risk taking is not ha doesn't happen and therefore it can harm creativity. I'd love to get your perspective on how does culture impact creativity? Well, let's talk about the failure bit, first of all, because I think that's a really important thing. And let's go back to the assumption that we've realised that adults, kids are creative and adults seem to have lost it just when they need it. And I think one of the reasons is, and, and um, we'll talk about this maybe later on when we interviewed school kids and teachers, um, you know, teachers reward correctness at the moment. They don't reward creativity. Right. So as kids start off in kindergarten, super creative, as they go through school, that creativity almost gets educated out of them because they're rewarded to be correct. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is young kids don't have any fear of failure. Mm -hmm. So they will try, and in today's world, they prototype and they're agile and they move fast and they try, fail, try, fail. But as adults, because we've been educated to be measured on our correctness, not creativity, we're too afraid to fail. And therefore, we won't try over and over again. For every great creative idea that happens, there's a hundred failures, but it's about pushing through that until you get that right one. And there's plenty of times we've worked with um, CEO groups where the CEOs come in and looked at all the crazy ideas around the room and right. just got horrified by their body language. And what we're trying to say to the CEO is, we're only looking for the one great idea. Those yeah. other 99 might fail, but you're not going to get to that one good idea mm. unless you go through the other 99. Mm. So if we're going to culture, let's talk about then a C-level person that, mm -hmm. that, that someone comes to them with a great idea. And I've got so many stories of people coming to CEOs with great ideas saying, mm. let's do this and let's do that. Mm. And you know what? They're probably terrible ideas. Mm. And the CEO, unfortunately, has not only told them it's a bad idea, but he's done it in a way that really shuts them down. Mm. And so when they finally do have a great idea, 
they're not going to come and say it because they've been closed down. Um, and I think that's really important that we, we create a culture that allows people to generate ideas. Mm. And sure, they might not work, but as leaders, we've got to separate what might be a silly idea from the way we communicate it. Because if we send people back to their office and feeling that they've got a stupid idea and, and failure is not an option, mm -hmm. then when they finally do invent the great idea, Mm. it's not going to be hurt. It's going to be killed. And so I think culture is really, really important, starting at the leadership level, to create an environment where people can feel comfortable to fail mm. and feel they can be creative. Interesting. So, Andrew, when I was, you know, when I was reading about uh, your profile and about the creativity crisis and your book, uh, one thought that did come to my mind was that can one measure creative quotient? And if yes, what is the process? Well, the... the I mean, look, as I said, we, when we wrote the book, we, we wrote it with a neuroscientist and psychologist. So, mm. uh, and he was a you know, PhD again from, from a university that really was looking into it. And it, it's hard to measure creativity. As I mentioned, Paul Torrance has got the CQ, which measures the attributes. Mm -hmm. uh, our book measures, uh, Who Killed Creativity measures the things that block our creativity. So we've got seven things that block creativity and people can look at those and say, well, yep, I'm blocked by these things. So therefore I'm not going to be creative if, if that's if this is what's going on in my mind from a mm -hmm. psychological perspective, or as you mentioned, from an, an external environmental perspective, mm -hmm. uh, those things will block and kill the creative process. Mm -hmm. So, but, but in terms of measuring it mathematically, it is a difficult thing to measure. Okay. Um, we can, I think people can look at their own experience and ask themselves, do they need to be more creative? We know that many of the re recent surveys from CEOs and the World Economic Forum says that creative thinking is one of the most important attributes you need because mm. AI is going to, be going to be able to deal with correctness, mm. uh, but AI is not going to be able to deal with creative thinking. So it's a little bit difficult to measure from a linear perspective, mm. but we do know um, Richard Florida wrote a book called The Creative Class, mm -hmm. and he measured the, the effect that creative people have on cities and countries mm. and companies and they add billions of dollars of, of creative revenue into cities mm -hmm. because creative people are attracted to certain certain environments they're attracted to certain cities mm -hmm. they're attracted to certain companies and if we're not allowing that if we're not creating that environment where people can be attracted in mm -hmm. then we're going to lose that creativity mm -hmm. very interesting and you know again when i was reading about you and you know, there's a comment that i read which was said which said that iq has been rising but CQ has been declining. What are the reasons you make such a statement? Well, um, I didn't make, I didn't do the research on that. I'm just seeing the research that uh, sure. we are getting more and more intelligent each generation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the Flynn effect. Obviously, the thirty, the, the the twenty years it took to write our book, you can now read it in eight hours. So you mm -hmm. can now, you know, build on the shoulders of each other. Your book the same. Yeah. The years mm -hmm. it's taken your research, someone can read it and learn. So we are getting more intelligent. Uh, as generations go on, so about mm. 10 points per generation. But for some reason, um, and, you know, it's still not 100% mm. worked out why, but I'll give you my 10 cents worth. Mm -hmm. Since the mid-90s, our creative quotient has globally um, flattened or plateaued or even starting to go down. Mm. And if you think about that, that was the time the internet came. Mm. Uh, it was also the time of 24-hour um, cable television where, where parents were so scared of watching all those murderers out there that those of us that grew up playing in places where my parents had no idea where we were playing mm -hmm. uh, have now been told since the 90s come inside it's too dangerous to go out there and we do know that creativity comes 
from a child's perspective, it comes from playing, mm. and it's called free playing or neoteny, which is being able to think like a child. Um, and these days, I don't think children get the chance to think like children. They don't get to free play. They're, they're brought inside. They're focused on their screens. Um, and when they are uh, in, their, in, in the parental need to become educated, they're shipped from one tutorial of maths to tutorial of violin to a tutorial on gymnastics, and they've lost that ability to just free play and so that that that's my 10 cents worth of i think why creativity is sure. dropping just when we need it i mean that's I the irony of and it, yet it? Uh, andrew when you talk to technology leaders from around the world they say that the entire creativity that the world is seeing in terms of technology has happened only in the last 30 years you know well i think that's because what we're now I mean, heading it, to it, which is the metaverse etc i'd love to get your perspective well, I think, first of all, the technology creatives are coming out of the creative class of people, which are very, very um, demographically uh, restricted. They, they're certainly not booming in every city. Uh, there's a reason why Silicon Valley became the, the creative hub of that, and that's what Richard Florida calls the three Ts, tolerance, technology, and talent. Mm -hmm. um, and each of those three tend to attract more and more. Mm -hmm. So these creative places where the technology happens, is, there's, there's a war for, for creative talent and there's a war for that CQ skills. And that's why CQ can be harnessed as a, as a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. But I also think, I mean, technology happens because we build on the shoulders of others. Uh, so we didn't have it 30 years ago because things weren't happening 30 years ago. We didn't have the speed of the internet. So as 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 one person over here becomes creative, it opens up uh, for another another person to be more creative over here. Mm, interesting. And yet now, when I wear my hat as a as a former corporate leader, one of the things that every corporation or every startup is driving to is very very strong processes. My question to you is that if we become slaves of processes, what does it do to creativity? Well, the, most of the research on creativity uh, or most of the media research is all about the creative entrepreneurs and the explorers and the, you know, all these people that come up with these great ideas. But for sustainable innovation, the research over years, decades and decades and even centuries is it actually needs both. You need to, it's called ambidextrous leadership, and you actually need to be able as a leader to explore and put on that exploring hat and go out and push the boundaries. But, but that on its own is not sustainable. It just ends up in the in, in chaos. Mm. What you need to also be able to do is keep that processing hat on and do incremental uh, incremental creative thinking as well. Mm -hmm. So we actually need that ambidextrous thinking or that dual leadership, and that's the paradox of, mm -hmm. of innovation or of, of creative thinking, to be able to do the processes. But why are we slaves to creativity? Um, I think one of the sort of why are we slaves to processes and not creative, I think one of the other challenges we've got is from a neuroscience perspective, for creativity to flourish, we need to actually be functioning in the prefrontal cortex of our brain. Mm -hmm. That's where the creativity happens. Now, unfortunately, most of us live in the back part of our brain, which is that fight, flight, or freeze process. And if you're living on KPIs, if you're living on processes, if you're living on a boss that says, you have to get it into me yesterday, mm -hmm. um, then you're living in that fight, flight, or freeze part of the brain, which is the primitive part of the brain, which was designed for an emergency. It was designed for the bomb or the flooding or the, the tiger in the, in the jungle chasing you. It was designed to do that quick race to get out. But when you're in that fight, flight or freeze mode, no creativity is happening. 
Now, that's okay. That's how we've survived as adults, mm. as humans. But you can't ask people in the workplace to live in that fight, flight or freeze zone 24-7 mm. and then expect them to be creative. It's just not going to happen. The culture is mm. not going to be there. Interesting. So uh, I've got one more question and then I've got a few minutes uh, to talk about your books. Uh, you've been researching creativity and innovation for almost two decades. Uh, the people now in leadership roles are the millennials and the Gen Zs. And I think they have a very, very different outlook to the way this world will uh, be for them as compared to people of my generation. Yep. My question to you is how are millennials and Gen Zs changing creativity and innovation in companies and countries? Well, I think the timing is really interesting with that question because we've seen uh, the great resignation and the ongoing wanting to work from home that, that we're seeing as a result of the, uh, as people uh, after COVID has happened and we've got a lot of people res resigning and we've got a lot of people working from home. So we've been forced into this hybrid model. And I think what's happening, uh, as we know, there's also a war for talent or there's a war for good talent and there's even a war for creative good talent. And so I think a lot of the millennials and and we might as adults call them a sense of entitlement and how dare they. But the reality is they're actually sick of being put through the cookie machine and the, and the, and the factory where it's almost a pyramid scheme mm -hmm. to get to the top and told they've got a long work hours and give their soul for free. Mm -hmm. And I, I've got, I'm, I'm feeling that, and, and about time, um, you know, they're actually saying, no, I, you know, my life is valuable. Uh, I want a life outside of work. And ironically, as we know, if they want to be creative, they, they've got to get out of that fight, flight or freeze mode and get into the front part of their brain they need time off and they need the ability to think and, and, and be creative. Right. And so what we're seeing now is a backlash of millennials and Gen Z saying, I'm not going to work for an employer that puts me through the sausage machine or, or the factory It just does it. Uh, I've got friends that have got grad jobs in Amazon and Google and law firms, and I'm thinking, wow, you've scored the, you know, the, you've scored the golden egg to, to get uh -huh. these jobs. How long are you going to stay there for? And they said, oh, as long as they look after me, I'll stay. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, bye. In our generation, if I got a job offered at Amazon, I'd say I'll I'll stay no matter what. But these millennials are saying, if Amazon looks after me, I'll stay. If they don't, I'll go somewhere else. Okay. And so. I think that's a really interesting concept. Mm. Now, you know, Google have, have also come up with the, you know, they came up with the famous canteen and the whole great culture of living living on campus, which yeah. can have its also downfalls of being narrow-mindedness. But they didn't do that because they were being altruistic. I think Google knew that by creating these zones where people feel relaxed and, and particularly the concept of the canteen, mm. from a creative perspective, it's when the sales and marketing meets finance, meets, uh, meets HR, and they come together and that's where the ideas bounce off each other in these places where people can get together. So I think um, as long as companies are, are starting to actually look after the welfare of their of their of their employees uh, and not just pay lip service to it, we'll 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 we'll, we'll get we'll get the generation back. Now, funny you should say that because twenty years ago, one of my first employees was a bank. Mm -hmm. And the company came to me and said, these are stockbrokers. They make more money than most of us can poke a stick at. Mm -hmm. But the stockbrokers came to me and said, You're, this is the first time a bank has actually taken interest in me. Mm -hmm. And we call it soft fuzzy skills, which a lot of these companies right. think is a waste of time. But they said, this is the first time the bank's taken interest in me. This has not only helped me in my banking, it's helped me with my relationship with my family. I'm going to stay. So okay. there's only so much money you can throw at someone. You've got to also give them development and the chance to want to explore and get better at what they do. I understand. So, Andrew, I have uh, time for uh, 
couple of quick uh, responses from your books. Yep. You have two books that you have written. Um, tell me about your books. Well, we, as I mentioned, we've been teaching uh, creative thinking for many, many years. And Wiley came to us and said, we, we really like your approach. You've got some incredible clients out there, uh, banking, which doesn't seem to connect with creative thinking when you first think about it. Could you write a book on creativity? But please don't write another book on creativity because, as I mentioned, there's too many other books out there. Mm -hmm. So we started looking at our workshops and wondering why are people, when it, when it should be such an important thing, what's going wrong? And we started interviewing people, realising that they didn't think it was for them, they thought it was for someone else. Mm. And we soon came up with the idea that people were, uh, that their creativity was being blocked. And we had that, you know, as I said, the research from children being created, right. we've lost as adults, and yet we need it back. Mm. And yet people seem to have, have it blocked. Mm. So that's when we started to sit down with the neuroscientists and psychologists and came up with the, with the title called Who Killed Creativity mm -hmm. and How to Get It Back? Because, of course, we wanted to be creative we didn't just want to write right. seven blocks to creative thinking mm. uh, but we, we we themed it around a crime scene and and actually looked at the whole concept of how can you you know what what's happened to our creativity has it been killed uh, and then since then we've designed a board game that people can use as a self-diagnostic right. tool but we really wanted people to think about what are the things that block them in creativity that then then they can go and buy all the other books mm. and become more creative fascinating Andrew, on that note, uh, thank you for speaking to me. Um, you know, it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation with you on creativity uh, and what is a creative quotient, how a creative quotient uh, compares with an intelligence quotient and how important it is for us to start understanding what is creativity. Mm. Thank you for sharing with me also uh, your perspective on the millennials and the Gen Zs and what their thoughts are. And finally, Thank you for sharing with me the seven attributes of creativity that you have outlined in your book. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.